0: Hi, I'm Aisha Rafai, and I'm an Olympic rower and you're listening to Steady State Podcast. It's rowing for the rest of us.
1: Hello and welcome to Steady State Podcast, your rowing fix where the water
2: is always flat, the catches are clean, and you can always hear the coxswain. We're revealing a narrative about rowing culture that recelebrates the expansive array of rowers, coaches, and coxswains in a podcast designed to savor real-life experience from launch to cox seat at every level. We're Rachel Friedman and Tara Morgan, and this is Steady State Podcast. Sit ready. Thanks to everyone who listened to our last episode with Corinne Kazmazak. She's lived with anxiety and PTSD and told us about coaches that helped boost her confidence. Corinne's love for rowing motivated her to go back to college after nine years away. And today she's an exercise science and psychology major with the goal of becoming a collegiate rowing coach. If you missed it or any of our episodes, listen anytime at studystatenetwork.com podcast or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And while you're there, could you leave us a review? When you do, it helps our podcast gain traction, get noticed, and reach more ears. We're really interested in the backstories, the experiences on and off the water that make people the rowers, coaches, and coxswains they are today. We really
1: like to look outside the standard pipeline and generic rowing narrative.
2: Today we're talking with Aisha Rafai. In 2016, she made history when she became Singapore's first rower to qualify for the Olympics. The path she took to get there was driven by a competitive spirit, a passion for sports, health, and fitness, and punctuated by injuries, losses, and some disappointment.
1: Aisha spent years training and racing, but she knew it was time to retire when getting in her single skull stopped being fun. She segued to triathlon and running, where she's figuring out what it means to train for personal growth and not
2: to represent a country. Today, she's pursuing a master's degree with a goal of becoming an athlete counselor. Ayesha, thanks so much for chatting with us today.
0: No worries, thanks for having me.
2: Yeah, we wanna know what's going on in your rowing world this
1: week, whether it's on the water, which I don't think it is this week in Boston, off the water, school, what's going on with you in rowing this week?
0: So I have not um, been on the boat since fall. Um, so currently, nothing to do with rowing. I'm just studying and coaching, but I coach in a gym. So um, that's the closest I'm getting to a machine, uh, which is in Orange Dairy Fitness. They have the water rower. Oh yes, they do. nothing like a concept too. No, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but but I love it because you can do a faster 2K on it. Uh, Is that right? I, yeah, yeah, definitely. Good to know. <laughs> <laughs> but other than that, no, I haven't been coaching. I haven't been rowing for um a few months now. So I left Boston in August. So that was my last time coaching in uh, CRI. Um, and then when I was in CRI, um, I did the um, IRL program, which is basically the advanced certification in rowing leadership that they have. Uh, that was my experience rowing in Boston. Yeah.
2: So, how does the the rowing leadership program work with your master's program? Because what what's the master's program that you're in right now?
0: Yeah, so I'm currently in the athletic counseling program in Springfield College. So that was a whole year uh, since I moved um, to the US. Spent. Uh, my time in Boston for a year and then, that was when I realized like I really liked sports psychology and I wanted to, to pursue further in the field so that's why I took up uh, this program in Springfield College and we moved out here in August. It was fun I, I love the fact that it was just rowing focused it was it was a good experience for me because I graduated from college 10 years ago 11 now, 11 years ago. And so I knew that I wanted to further my studies in sports psychology. So before I entered a master's program, I had the experience of being a student again. So that was, uh, that was in, uh, really good for me, beneficial for me, because um, there were lots of readings to do, there were lots of like hands-on activities. And I think the best thing that came out of that program was um, being able to network with the coaches around Boston. I was an assistant coach with the MIT Lightweight Women's Team and my friend, um, she was with the Harvard, the Radcliffe Women's Team as well. So we had lots of opportunities meeting coaches and rowers from around Boston. So that was, that was a good opportunity for us. We also had some um, experts in their field who came down and um, became lecturers in the program. So we had a coach from Syracuse, actually. He's now in charge of um, Hydro. And then we have a whole lot of um, different people coming from different areas. We had a dietitian, someone who is a physical therapist. So... Everything that they taught us was very related to rowing. So that was, that was very interesting. So were was there a sports psychologist who came to speak with you? There was actually, um, but he was a doctorate student in Boston University. So he's mm. planning to be a sports psychologist. In the US, to become a sports psychologist, you need to get a doctorate. With a master's, if I don't intend to take my doctorate, I can be a mental skills coach or an athletic counselor. So basically you're a counselor. You don't really focus on uh, sports performance enhancement like a sports psychologist would do. Uh, We also talk to them about their life, their school, their family. So just like a counselor, but working with student athletes. So that's where we approach them from.
1: This has come up in several conversations, Tara, and I I have had lately with other rowers, coaches, coxswains, that it seems that that field is gaining a lot of prominence especially over the last couple of decades i can even hear a difference between the way younger coaches talk today than what i've heard from coaches and how i coached these notions of being aware of your rowers
2: concerns and anxiety has moved way up in the priority list, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I always describe it as, you know, put your bag down and do your 2K test (laughs) type of coaching
3: versus
2: (laughs) how are you? I see you, you know, how's your mom? Happy birthday. You know, like, and then one of the things we keep coming back to is Coach Sarah Nevin from California said in her episode with us, the most successful athlete is the one that comes back the next day. So be the coach that helps a kid come back the next day, right? Under all of the right circumstances.
3: Mm
1: -hmm. That's a really good segue because I'm curious about you as a kid, (laughs) were you an athletic kid? What sort of stuff did you do as a little girl
0: in Singapore? Um, sure. <laughs> I grew up with four brothers, so I think that's where my competitive edge comes from. Like we fight over food and games, so like wanting to be the first to get somewhere is always like in my blood. But uh, I've always been athletic. I um, in Singapore, I'm five eight. I think, I want to believe I'm 5'9", but I'm 5'8". Unfortunately, it's tiny for a, a single scholar, open-weight single scholar. But um, but in Singapore, I'm considered very tall. So I was involved in lots of sports. Um, there, there's a sport called netball. I'm not sure if you guys heard of netball. So it's a common I've seen world.
2: it. Yeah, I've yeah. seen
0: netball. Mm-hmm. Only played by girls or women. So that's fantastic. So I used to play netball for Singapore. And in netball, you need height as well, just like basketball. Uh, so I was playing that ball for a bit and then I remember in my uh, last year of high school I was sitting on a rowing machine it was just like a fun activity with my classmates and then someone came and asked me whether I wanted to be a rower um, wanted to try out rowing so I didn't know what rowing was never heard of it um, but I wanted to give it a try so um, I gave it a try I spent about almost a year sitting on a rowing machine I don't know why I still continued to come back I mean my coach was not inspiring at all (laughs) Um, but I came back just because I don't know I I love the pain maybe or just love the boredom but but sitting on a rowing machine was not fun especially because the coach he couldn't even speak English so he's from China and I need I needed to have my friend to come with me so that she could translate the Chinese to English for me (laughs) so he's teaching you
2: how to row yeah through uh, through a teenage translator yes <laughs> in a gym yeah. <laughs> on a rowing machine <laughs> <Yes.
0: Awesome>. and, <laughs> and i remember when because i need i needed to have my knuckles down you know rowing on the earth knuckles down you don't want your knuckles to go like that Maybe. you used to use a ruler to, like yeah <laughs> that
2: i've done that i've taped a wrench to people yeah
0: Ooh. oh yeah. wow okay yeah. <laughs> so yeah so um that was my first experience of rowing. Um, and then I, um, because in Singapore, there's not many people who row, uh, So I w- ended up in a single skull. By the time I was in a single skull, my friend quit. So I didn't have a translator. So I was struggling a lot. <laughs> I spent more time in the water than on the boat. Um, and I remembered going for my first race. But my first singles race, it was already a different coach. It wasn't um, the Chinese coach anymore. Um, and it, uh, I remember my first race, I capsized. And I was telling my coach that I never want to be on a boat anymore, like ever again. (laughs) It was so so traumatic.
1: So how old were you at this point? You're a year in, you finally get in a boat. Are you still
0: in high school? Right after high school. So I was 17 when I had my first race. Yeah. And then um, my coach put me in a um, pair. And I enjoyed the pair more because I didn't like the chances of capsizing was lesser. And then uh, in a pair, we went to a competition and we won um, bronze in that competition. And that was the first time I felt like, wow, like I want to do more of this because that feeling of winning was just so good. And then that was it. <laughs> I was in the national team from then on. Wow. Yeah. And then,
2: So in the national team, you were put into a single again. So there's not like a sweep program now, right? No. So maybe a pair, but more likely a single.
0: Yeah. And no, Singapore is so tiny. Like when I first started rowing, there were only like um six of us who were rowing for Singapore. No, actually six of us rowing in Singapore. Like n- there was no one else who was rowing. Yeah, wow, yeah
2: so what what was it? I mean, did you you're an athlete? You had played a lot of sports. You had beaten your brothers to the dinner table. You had <laughs> you know elbowed elbowed people out of the way for food. <laughs> And netball, I have seen netball. I've been to Australia. I've seen netball. It's fantastic. I Mm -hmm. was a basketball player too because I'm five ten, so I I understand that. But it was cool. There's no backboard in Mm -hmm. in netball, and I know that that we listened to a podcast with you where that sport really, you liked that sport quite a bit, and it was a hard decision to move from that to rowing. But in the interview that we heard, you said it was because you'd had this dream of going to the Olympics. And there's no netball
0: yeah. in the
2: Olympics, but there's rowing. And my follow-up question to that is, do you know who it was that approached
0: you in the gym and, uh, and told you? Do you know who that person was? Yeah, so she, her name is Elsie. So she used to be a national rower as well. So mm. she was looking for a partner. So that's why she was going around schools, looking for someone tall um, to row with her. When I started rowing when I was 15, she was in her 30s. So she was double my age with more experience. And I was in a boat with her for quite some time. And it was, yeah, I think she knows this, but it was the worst time of my life. Oh. Because, because she she had so much expectations from me. Every time I was in the boat, I was like being screamed at. It was awful. I was just crying all the time. <laughs> oh,
1: That's not how you want to be like introduced to the sport, right? Yeah. <laughs> right.
2: But that all. first time that you felt, what was supposed to be happening in the boat and you really felt that lock of the blade and the send or, or whatever it was, do you remember that moment where you're like, okay, I get what I'm trying to do. I, I get what it's supposed to feel like. And I like this. Do you, do you remember
0: having that moment? I remember like a few trainings. Um, I, I I told you guys um, I spend more time in the water than on the boat itself. And then there was like just a, period of time like a week or two weeks where I was not in the water and I was like oh wow this is actually quite easy it's actually hard to fall into the water once you get the hang of it so that was when I realized like okay like you just kind of like relax more and that has always been like kind of like my mantra thing Um, like telling myself to relax so that everything just falls into place because I'm I'm a very tense person. I remember my first race my forearms were just hurting because I was just like grabbing onto the oars the handles <laughs>
2: right. the
1: death yeah. grip yeah. So is there something specific about rowing that you think really got you hooked? Oh,
2: the winning part. <laughs> the winning
3: <laughs> it's a good yeah, right. point yeah that's a,
2: that's a really fun thing when it happens
0: <laughs> but to be honest like training was terrible like mm-hmm. you do the same thing over and over again and in Singapore where we train it was a 2k long um, reservoir so we go up and down like 10 20 times and wow. that was it yeah wow
2: so did you ever travel overseas to train somewhere else to try a different coach or try a different program like some people come to the u.s and go to a university and and become part of the team like daniela nakaslova from our one of our last episodes from voices and rowing book she traveled to the u.s trained and then went back and was representing her country
0: yeah i saw that um So I didn't had that opportunity because I was still studying. Um, Only when I finished studying, graduated, um, I went on to teaching and then I decided, okay, this is not what I want. I want to be an athlete. So that was when I put teaching aside and then packed my bags, went to Australia to train. And how I got the um, network to Australia was the coach who was coaching. So it's strange in Singapore because... um, we don't really have like a coach to train us, the national team. So only when there's an event that comes up like a um, Southeast Asian Games or an Asian Games, then the uh, um, federation will hire a coach. So we usually have a coach for like three or six months and then that's it every every few years. So um, the coach was coaching us then. Uh, he knows someone who lived in Australia and he was like, if you want to go to the Olympics, you, you, you can't stay here. You have to get out of the country. You have to train with people who have the, right mindset the uh, optimal training uh, environment so I went to Australia um, trained with AB who became my Olympic coach um, and that was it like Australia's beautiful like you've been to Australia yeah. the most beautiful place in it's, the world it's pretty much perfection <laughs> <the> yeah. <laughs> yeah. expensive though but <laughs> yeah. yeah so Australia was one um, but then I trained in Japan um, and US as well right before the Olympics I um, we had to acclimatize to the weather Mm -hmm. and uh, um, jet lag and all that. So I was actually up in Saratoga for a month and -hmm. it was nice. I love
2: Saratoga. So when you've got yourself to a real Olympic training program, was that a bit shocking? The level of intensity I'm imagining
0: was a lot higher than what you were used to? Oh, yeah, Um, especially because you have the same coach with you for a few years. So you don't have to change your technique every few years. So that Mm -hmm. was one thing that's out of my mind. Um, And also because my training used to be like up and down because of you have a coach, you don't have a coach, you have a coach, you you don't have a coach. So my training was, it went up and up and up. So that was when more injuries came about as well. So I had Mm -hmm. plenty of injuries, the usual like the rib stress fracture and all those kind of things. Um, But also like, you get so much faster. You get so much stronger and it made a huge difference. And the thing about like, but I didn't, even though I was out there alone, I've never felt like I was alone. I've never felt like I hated this. I I enjoyed every single moment. I enjoyed every single training. I didn't like the hard trainings, but I mean, like talking of growth mindset, I had like a huge growth mindset. (laughs) I think it's just because I really wanted it so bad that I was like, okay, it's going to be hard, but I know it's going to help me. Yeah.
2: yeah, that's that was my other question was all of a sudden you're surrounded by people who have these goals that are way up mm-hmm. here. and they have the structure underneath it to support that, the right food, the right oh, yeah. uh, training schedule, the right facilities, the right boats. And that's a shift in your mind as well. And so that got you to qualifications, right? That took you to the point of qualifying.
0: Yeah, for sure. They definitely helped me um, get better mentally and physically, but really boosted my confidence as well because um, the girls I was training with, uh, one of them went to the Olympics as well. Um, most of them are like state champions. So being able to like roll alongside them and knowing that, wow, I'm like next to this state champion, knowing that I'm that good, like it makes me feel so much better. But then again, of course, you know, Kim Crow, she was the one who won the women's singles calls in 2016, Kim Brennan. Oh, in yes, Australia. Kim. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's Australian. So I remember going to a state championship and she was in my same race. And my my friends were like, maybe beat her in the first 25, 50 meters. I was like, okay. <laughs> but isn't she like a, she's like a foot taller than you. She's, she's so, so fast and tall. She's
2: like so massive. tall. I've seen her road. She looks like a bird. Like she's just, yeah. We want her on the podcast if you... <laughs> She's amazing. if i so, can get her yeah. so what, what happened did you beat her in the in the first 35 oh yeah like uh, the first 150 meters or something like that brilliant that must have felt amazing i mean because <laughs> I mean, i'm smaller so i'm faster off the start she's got oh, all yeah. those, those levers
0: and she doesn't look like she's suffering at all like when you watch her row it's so it's nice to watch her row.
1: <laughs> yeah yeah that's always amazing when people make it look easy you know <laughs> you know there's so much churning in the brain but <laughs> well, when they well, just make it look
2: easy there's that mm-hmm. analogy that that rowing is it, it's the duck on the surface but the the feet <laughs> underneath yeah. that's really what's <laughs> happening because I, I teach learn to row for adults you know for just masters everyday people <laughs> you know, like your mom <laughs> you learns to row and they always say oh I love it so much it looks so calm and beautiful and I'm like the calmer they look, the harder they're working. Like that's, that's I legit. love that little visualization, Tara, yeah. of, of the duckling and the legs going all out. Yes, we need to put that on our feed. Just yeah. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Steady State Network, and on Twitter at Steady State Row. You can sign up for our weekly e-newsletter on our website too. And we're back with Aisha Rafai. Well, I, I love your story because, you know, when I first reached out to you and said, hey, you know, we want, we want to have you on the podcast and I loved your social media feed and you came back with, I'd, I'd love to tell my story. And I know that you probably get interviewed like this because of the uh, first Singaporean rower and uh, to go to the Olympics and things and that. But at, having taken a step back from it, and having some years away from it, what do you think your story is now around rowing?
0: It's a very good question. Um, I think I'm still, I mean, currently, cause I've coached for a bit and then now I'm in a mental skills like um, industry and um, like mental health professionals have been emphasizing on mental health, you know, finding the balance. Um, I think I'm still struggling to discover whether obsession is important in excelling in a sport because I feel like if I wasn't obsessed in rowing, if I didn't take, like, just leave my family and friends behind and go to Australia to train, I wouldn't have gotten to where I am today. But then again, like, of course with the obsession, um, once rowing was over, I struggled a little with athlete identity. So I didn't, I was hopeless in everything else. That's what I felt. I felt like I was no one without rowing. So it's, just, but then again, like, I'm not sure where the other, like, elite athletes are, whether they, it, whether it's actually possible to have a balance. I mean, to have a balance, you need to have everything else around you, like, 100% fully supported. Like, your nutrition, you have a mental skills coach, you have a sports psychologist, you have your coach, your trainer, your strength conditioning coach. And on top of that, you have your family members who are willing to support you as well. So, there's so many factors that go into, like, being an elite athlete with the right mindset
1: that's really interesting i wonder where the line is between motivated and obsessed Hmm. right because a lot of us are very motivated right we'll practice five days a week we uh take care of our nutrition we try and find a work-life balance work-life training balance but then where does it tip that scale to obsessed. And I actually think about that sometimes with um, triathletes, especially triathletes who do like Ironman triathlons, where you are just dedicating
2: hours. most of
1: your week. Hours <laughs> to and
2: hours and or so, people who do uh, out here, ultra trail running, ultra yeah. marathon is huge out here. Yeah. And that's so I think what happens is they find people like them and they date those people and they're friends with those people and they drink beer with those people. And I think people say the same thing about rowers because we speak a totally separate language, whether we've been to the Olympics or not. I mean, we, Rachel and I have not, but we all know what the terms are. We know what the beer after practice or the <laughs> regatta is. We know, you know, and and, and yeah. So I had a follow up question about elite versus
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Everyone else. So the Steady State podcast and the Steady State Media Network is about uh, rowing, dot, dot, dot for the rest of us. And we all were the people who fell out of our boats when we first started, whether you ended up Kim Brennan, Olympian, or, you know, Rachel and I, just Masters, masters. rower. Yeah, just, you know, competing. We all have been on the same journey essentially. And we've had our version of the Olympics. Like I've competed at the head of the Charles and she's been to the head of the Charles or, you know the Henley or whatever we're doing. What, when you went to CRI and you're now in this pool of of folks and you're going out for a row with just everyday people. Was there something about that that was actually pretty cool or just to not be in that elite mindset all the time?
0: or what was that like? That's an interesting question. I think it's a little bit different in CRI, especially in Boston, because you can see who's elite and who's not. Like you go to Cambridge, for example, and everyone was elite or is elite. Like you have world champions, Olympic medalists in Cambridge, and then they come over to CRI as well. Um, But I was in a CRI Masters women's team as well. uh, And that was inspiring for me. I mean, we know that rowing is a lifelong sport, but seeing these women waking up at 5 a.m. in the morning to erg and not aiming for an Olympic dream, it's, it's mind-blowing to me. Um, I feel that, and it's inspiring because I'm always like, okay, I need to compete to be part of a team or to train. But for them, it's like, okay, they get to compete, but they also want to be part of a team, which I feel I didn't get because I was in a singles car my whole life. I didn't really have that team atmosphere. Um, but... But yeah, I I think everyday people who dedicate their lives to sports is just inspiring because because you are putting in as much effort. I mean, the intensity might not be at, at an elite level, but you have all these other things that you have to do in your life, like work and your um, children and your spouse to take care of. But on top of that, you choose to want to roll every single day. And I think that's that's inspiring and then that's what you guys say like where do you draw the line between like being obsessed and being motivated like if you're not obsessed you will not be able to do all these things you have to have some kind of obsession but I think it's like a healthy obsession not to the point that you let go of your responsibilities yeah I
2: I remember being on an all women's team and I grew up on teams and I like how you're differentiating between being a single scholar and then being part of a club team like that, because it is a very special dynamic, especially when you have someone who maybe just graduated from learn to row you know, five years ago and has just, you know, a natural athlete has shot up to the competitive team. If I was an innate with you, I would be like, okay, we have an Olympian in the boat as a master's rower. And that's, that can be intimidating from our standpoint. There's this, this cachet, but it's nice to hear from an elite perspective, what it's like to Join the masses, if you will, the unwashed masses (laughs) of masters rowers, because that's a big part of our audience and who listens to this podcast. And to feel a relatability and a connection,
0: having that competitive mindset is something that that like not everyone has it, and it's something that everyone should value and treasure, especially being in a group environment. It's interesting now, like that you you're starting to
1: get into the masters um scene and kind of see what happens at that level where you know for a whole lot of us especially folks who come into rowing later in life you know we don't we don't have the goal of the olympics but we do have a goal of becoming the best rower we can be so there's actually a whole big chunk that we kind of skipped about training uh southeast asian games qualifying and then we already kind of got past retiring, (laughs) right? So I do want to take just a a step back and talk to you um, a little bit about Rio and then retiring. You get the opportunity to go to Rio qualifiers and you've been training what, for three years to get there? Is that right? Um, Full time, three years. Three three years to get there. uh, What was it like just to be in Rio
0: and in that environment? So that's, I, <laughs> I love Rio. I love the experience. So, my biggest regret, if you would say that, was that qualifications was in April and the Olympic Games was in August, right? So, at the qualifications, I qualified and I kind of got like, it got up to my head. I was like, huh, I qualified. Okay. Don't have to put so much effort. I know. This is my biggest regret in my life. But then again, at Rio, because I was the first Singaporean, um, there was no like standards to meet and things like that. I didn't, honestly, I could have done so much better, but um, I was just anxious. I was just worried. I was overwhelmed by the whole experience. If my mental skills coach was there, he would have screamed at me, but he wasn't. And I didn't take it all in. I just kind of just like got so frustrated with myself throughout the whole Rio experience. And it's funny that I'm saying this because I've never told this to anyone before. But <laughs> um, because it's been a long time now. It's been like five years. I can't believe it's five years ago. But Rio itself was amazing. I love um, I love competition. I love um, being able to like compete with other rowers. Um, the water was scary on the, on the day of the heats. I remember that was the scariest I've ever... Uh, but, but then again, Sydney is also as scary. So I think I was trained well in that um, condition. But just the fact that I, I kept on telling myself, like, uh, I, I've already made it up to the Olympics. Like, these guys are so much faster. And that kind of, like, brought down my self-esteem and confidence. And, like, if I had a chance to do it again, I would will, I will change my mindset in Rio. Do you think it, it could
1: have been different if your coaching and support structure had been different there while you were at
0: qualifiers? Would it have been different? No, I think I've had the best that was already given to me. I've had I've had lots of support. One thing that I'm always like envious of other team is having a teammate or having teammates. Like I told this to my coach. Like if I'm angry with you, I have no one else to talk to about you. Like I can't bitch about you to anyone else. I only have to see your face <laughs> <every true>. day. <laughs> and it was frustrating. It was so frustrating to the point that. Right after the Olympics, um, I told him, I don't think I can see your face anymore for the next few weeks. I <laughs> oh totally understand. But then that's the thing. I feel like I had support in every single level except the team support. Like I don't have like a partner or teammates. I just had him.
1: And you were the only rower from Singapore there. So yeah, yeah there was no one <laughs> there for you to talk to. So, th- so then you couldn't see your coach's face for a few weeks and then I think there was a point where you kind of fell out of rowing and fell out of love of being in a single. Oh, yeah. What what kind of happened there?
0: Oh that was like the worst because I tried to I tried to pick myself up again. I tried to get into the boat but each time I got into the boat I hated it so much. I've, I don't remember hating rowing so much. Um like I was just frustrated. Um I wasn't I wasn't going slow, but I was just like, you know, because right after a, a heart um like event, you just go steady state for a few weeks. And I used to like I used to be in a boat and enjoy every single moment, but those that period of time I just hated it. And that was when I told my coach like, I don't think um I want to do this anymore. And he said, Maybe you should take a few weeks break. And then after a few weeks, um I came back and it just didn't come back. So that was when I realized like okay it's time to let it go mm-hmm.
1: And then we use a, the word retired. <laughs> so you decide to retire from rowing, is that right?
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It was the hardest decision to make though. No it took me like almost a year and a half to retire <laughs> so it was a long retirement process. It yeah. had been such a huge part of your life for so
2: long. Yeah. And I, I remember you saying in this podcast, we just were listening to you on this morning that you felt like you had been really prepared for in your own mind to qualify. You had not necessarily been prepared to compete in the Olympics as an athlete counselor of the future. And you're looking at a kid, are, are you going to be encouraging that sort of whole athlete approach, the long game approach? How do they keep moving forward towards goals? Is that going to incorporate it itself? Do you think into
0: your career? Future career So definitely that's why uh currently when i'm talking to my athletes i'm always about like like mental mental wellness where's your mental state at at the moment and understanding why why the why is just so important because right after the olympics there was no more why for me like i lost it because that was my only goal which was to be in the olympics and then why Like I I wanted to go to Tokyo, thankfully I'm not training for Tokyo because of all the uncertainties, it will drive, drive me nuts. But wanting to decide to go to Tokyo and realizing, and then what, and then I'll be back in the same place. So like Mm -hmm. having that why is just so important.
1: So you brought, you brought that though, over into a couple new realms, right? I think you got into running. I think you said you've done some triathlon. So that competitive spirit is still there, but the why changed a whole lot for you, right?
0: Yeah, I think especially for triathlon, because like what you guys mentioned, like for triathletes, for ultramarathoners, marathoners, um, there must be a reason why they're doing, they're committing so much time to a sport that's like, they're not even competing in the Olympics. So I have lots of triathlon friends, uh, triathlete friends in Singapore. So that was how I got hooked into it. Not really hooked. I don't even swim, but I just wanted to give it a try. And it made me like, because you're representing yourself, you're not even representing a country. So that just blew my mind. Why would someone train so much to represent yourself? And when I got into it and then I was like, okay, this is actually quite fun, like to do things for yourself. Like you don't have the burden of the country on your shoulders. You don't have sponsorships though. So that's, (laughs) that's terrible. (laughs) But then again, like the, the enjoyment is just a different kind of uh, fun, I feel.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. Really, it's just about what am I going to get out of this today? How is this going to be, make, make me a better person? And I think a lot of us walk away from practices or... Um, or bring from our athletic experiences something into our day-to-day lives, just helping set up the rest of my day. I started rowing 20 years ago. Before that, I was involved with some other athletic things, but I can't imagine not getting some sort of workout in in the morning. I don't know what to do with my day if I don't incorporate that first thing in the morning.
0: I hear you. That's why everyone needs a, like a routine going on. But I've lost my early bird. <laughs> personality like totally down the drain <laughs> now sleep inside <are> the best
1: <laughs> yeah my
0: my early bird is
1: getting up a little later and later right because I Tara and I've talked about this where early bird used to be getting up for practices that started at five I think Tara you say you still get up pretty early though right
2: in 2010 I was getting up <clears throat> three days a week at 4 45 and rowing with my competitive women's team. And then I got hired as a learn to row coach. And we actually taught learn to row at 5.30 in the morning. So these stragglers would come in and they're like, we've never seen 5.30 in the morning. And then, you know, three weeks into it, they're like, I feel amazing. Like I could do anything. I'm going to bed at eight o'clock at night, but I can do anything, you know? And now it's, I live in the woods in on an island. It's very dark. It's a very dark here in, in the Pacific Northwest. Have you heard about Zoom ergos? Free erging. And you can go erg with Olympians or you could go erg with me and Rachel. On Sunday mornings, you can come hang out for an hour and we just like shoot the shit as we row for an hour. And that was so fun for me because I had to get up at six and get the erg set up and get the cameras and get the sound uh, set up. And then I got to erg with the sunrise and it was like, oh, I remember this. <laughs> yeah. If you have access to an ERG
1: and Zoom in one place, check out Zoom Ergos. And it started with like a couple of former uh, GB Olympians leading a couple of sessions. And then somebody else offered to lead a session and somebody else, and then Tara and I were like, well, why don't we do steady state Sundays? So we hopped on and we're now we're doing that every Sunday. And people from all over the place are participating. It's so much fun. Just for the sake of getting in a good workout and having that sense of community, which mm-hmm. so many of us are really missing right now.
2: So we do this thing at the end of every show called rapid fire and it's just whatever comes to your mind. Okay, so I'm going to start. Port or starboard? Port. Bow seat or stroke seat? Stroke. Salt water or fresh water? Fresh water.
1: Head race or Sprint race.
2: Sprint race. Favorite coxswain command to receive or as a single sculler favorite coxswain command to give yourself? Legs.
1: For rowing do you prefer to wear a unisuit or tank and trow
2: shorts and a tank top? Unisuit. And then last question is if you drink coffee, (laughs) coffee before or after a workout? After.
0: We don't say port or but where we come from. Oh, it's stroke
1: and bow, stroke and bow. Yeah, yeah. Stroke side, bow side.
2: I've heard this before from our guests that stroke side is port. Yeah, and bow side. And Daniela, when she was on the show, she said she literally can't couldn't tell you what side is what. She was like, I have to pick up an oar and look at it and
1: decide if it's port or yeah. starboard. Yeah. Which I was actually kind of pleased to hear her say yeah. that because she's been rowing for like 20 years. Oh, yeah. I usually she's go through awesome. that at the beginning of a season when I'm like picking up my oar for the first time in four months. So I'm like
0: looking and looking. So, okay, got it. But then I I've coached lots of like not not, not beginners who still look for the tape because they're the red and green. I'm like, you don't depend on the thing You never depend on the thing. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. I used to teach it like, uh, uh, I used to do, do this method of teaching where I'd be like your right hand, but I would always say right hand port, right hand port, and then I would drop the word right hand. I'd drop the words right hand. So it's it was a technique I learned from some psychologist that you could actually, like if I wanted to rename Rachel and call her like Marge, I'd be like Rachel Marge, now here's what we're going to do Rachel Marge here's what we're going to do and then eventually I would just drop the Rachel <laughs> and she'd be like okay
1: okay I'm Marge <laughs> and my name is Marge well I yeah. will tell you it I get caught up um thinking about port and starboard because I look at the boat both from a rower's perspective and a coxswain's perspective oh my God. and it's stupid yeah. the same it's the same side of the boat is still called starboard no matter which seat you're in but and then I started sailing and sailing, oh then you're in the boat and you're talking about the bow.
2: And I'm like, why am oh. I looking at the bow and going forward? No, no, no. <laughs> Activities <laughs> where we go forward is just not <laughs> no. Yeah. That's I one of my favorite things to do in learn <laughs> this is great. In learn to regular in eights. And I'll be like, ports, raise your hands. <laughs> <laughs> like this. They don't lift their handles. They just ports, raise your hands. They go hand up in the air I'm like, no. Oh no I would have done it too <laughs> it's my favorite thing to do yes yeah. yeah or or move your left hand I had this one student one time I was like move your left hand in you know no move your left hand in she'd move her right hand move your left hand in. no move your right hand no other left move, hand, left hand. your oh, other honey. left hand and she'd be like she was like <laughs> <laughs> She like it no clue she's just like I'm, I'm backwards you know oh man
1: it's I not love fair. it it's not fair what we do to learn to row rowers you know they're I like
2: learning this whole new thing and they're my favorite them. little baby ducks they're yeah. awesome yeah yeah well thank you so much this has been really fun no, to chat with you. you guys
1: it was really nice to meet you and um we hope that this is just the beginning and that we'll get the chance to chat with you again
0: yeah for sure. Thanks for having me and it's always fun to talk about my past. <laughs> I don't really tell people that I'm I'm an Olympian and my my husband will always try to like fit it in for me like oh she's also an Olympian like I don't know why maybe I'm not embarrassed by it but it's just again like a psychological thing but, but mm-hmm. yeah I, I love talking about like my past because it reminds me of like who I was. I mean I still am but I'm not that obsessed.
1: So. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it's brought you to where you are today. So it's it's an, an important piece of it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. It's definitely
2: part of your identity. And I think that what we've been saying this whole episode about how this makes you relatable and how people can relate to you, they, they're they not going to be putting you on that pedestal that might feel a little bit awkward. They're going to be like, oh, she gets it. Like she gets what it's like to train for something. And then it does work out or it doesn't work out or having mindset um, challenges I think it'll be really relatable and that was our our whole point was we knew you had a good story so thank you thank you all,
0: all, right. Right. all right have a good one all thank right you too, too. Take care.
1: it's time to check it down and finish up this episode like we always do each week listeners share the best rowing related things that happen to them
3: hi my name is Katie Zola I am a first year grad student fifth year rower at the University of San Diego. Um, For this past week, I would say the highlight of my week was completing our first 2K since quarantine hit. Um, I know that this time has been really challenging for a lot of people mentally, emotionally, physically, financially, pretty much in any meaning of the word. Um, So it's been a struggle definitely getting through training and hard times. But I was really proud of myself and my team for completing our first 2K since we um, ended everything in March. Um, It was definitely a hard experience doing so after such a long break, but. Um, I'm thankful that I was able to push through all of the other barriers to be able to finish and I'm taking a little victories as much as I can. Um, I feel like that's a really an important thing to remember during this time. So I would say that was the highlight of my week. Thank you. Add
1: your voice. Call 240-390-6026 and leave a brief message with your name, club affiliation, and best rowing related thing that happened to you this week or record a voice memo on your phone and send it to BestPart at SteadyStateNetwork.com. Hey Tara, what's coming up on our schedule?
2: Because we miss morning practices and really miss post-practice coffee with teammates, we're hosting 30-minute coffee chats every Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern on Facebook Live and Instagram Live. Grab your favorite mug, join the conversation, and become part of of something that's bringing the rowing community together across the country and around the world.
1: And let's row together. Join us on Zoom Ergos for Steady State Sundays. During these 60-minute Steady State Erg workouts, we'll offer up chatter and cues scattered throughout to pass time and keep you motivated. Arrive warmed up, stay as long as you want, and stick around after to chat. Register for free at zoomergos.com.
2: We're also excited to be a media partner for the one-of-a-kind para-rowing global meetup series hosted by Seize The Oar Foundation. These free sessions are open to all para-rowing coaches, athletes, admins, and fans to talk, connect, and strategize for para-rowing success in 2021 and beyond. Find out more at SeizeTheOre.com. To support Tara and Rachel's work, see extras and outtakes, and join our Patreon community, visit Study State Network
1: into let it run that's one two let it run
2: and you're in Singapore there's not a lot of snow in Singapore I would imagine <laughs> not at all
0: <laughs> do you like How it are you doing <laughs> Do I like snow? Yeah. I love snow, it's magical.